Good morning. Happy Independence Day. Thank you for being here this morning. Would you thank our worship team and Conrad for leading us this morning in worship and communion? You know, after that, it's kind of like, maybe I should just close in prayer because that was powerful. Uh, I kind of relate it to the other night we got to go to the Rockies game. Um, and the fireworks, if you, if you happen to go to the Rockies game for the 4th of July stuff this year, the fireworks show was put on by Lockheed Martin. So I, I don't know if you know what Lockheed Martin is. You know, they build rockets and all that stuff. It was one of the most incredible fireworks displays I have ever seen in my life. At one point, you know, it's hitting you in the chest, and it's just inspiring. And there are embers coming down we were in the upper deck. And I was so inspired, I was like, I want to catch one, like with my mouth. And I just remember thinking the, the stadium was going to collapse at one point. I mean, it was just that big. And so it's kind of how this feels right now, where it's like, maybe we should just close right here. But we're not, we're not. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, and even if you were, I want to take you back to um, a little history lesson from last week. There is a rendition that you and I grew up with of, of the pledge, the Pledge of Allegiance, that in 1892 when it was written, and then in 1923 when it was revised, um, it, it didn't look like the, way, the one that we learned growing up and the, and the one that we recited growing up. It went like this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And I asked this question last week. What's missing? What's missing? Under God. Under God, yeah, because see, when you look at the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, in, in 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower figured out and, and was inspired by and encouraged by the church of all places to add under God to that pledge. Because honestly, that pledge, without the words under God and without tying that to the rest of it, really has no chance of working whatsoever. It really doesn't. And so we looked at this idea of the words that sit on either side of under God last week. One nation, indivisible. One nation, indivisible. One nation, indivisible. That is unity. It's pointing at unity. And unity just doesn't work without under God. Now, before this country figured that out in 1954 with adding the words, and honestly, I think many in this country knew that long before, it's on the pages of Scripture. And so we explored that last week. Now, today, today I was going to tackle the last part of that pledge, liberty and justice for all. And I realized, well, you know, justice being the, the really uh, mellow conversation it's been over the last year, it just needs its own. We'll talk about that next week. But today, I, today I just want to focus on that word liberty, freedom. See, you and I probably have some pictures of what that word means, don't we? Here, let me start us off with one. Just because I've been, this has been running in my head for two weeks straight. And so I just, if I got to go through it, you got to go through it. Ready? Liberty, 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 liberty. I mean, I think they do four, but they might as well have done 400. Liberty Mutual, just over and over and over and over. That's all you're going to hear the rest of the day. I'm, I'm sorry. But again, we're going to go through this together. Some of you have that image from Braveheart in mind, right? When he screams, freedom. That's our picture of liberty. For, for still others in here, maybe you, you've got this idea that it's Independence Day, the movie. You know, aliens are, are they're going to show up any time. I mean, we've, we're hearing about UFOs in the news lately. And 
sooner or later, Area 51 is going to come alive, and, and we're gonna, that's going to be what liberty is. And we're going to have to fight for that. But maybe, maybe the definition that probably sits deep within the hearts of all of us, I, I love revisiting childhood. And lately, I've been using some of the insults from childhood. Um, and it's so fun. It's exhilarating, especially this one. And, and I don't know, this is a children of the 80s thing, but it might have been a children of the 70s, 60s, and everybody before that as well. Um, do you remember this one? Somebody would tell you you can't do something. You go, it's free country. I can do what I want. It's free country. I remember traveling in a basketball game. They were like, Nathan, you can't take more than two steps. I had taken like eight, anyway, without dribbling the ball. I was like, I'm not giving you the ball. It's free country. I can do whatever I want. Okay, the other day, tried this with my kids. There was one brownie left in the pan. And I knew that there were, there were people in our family that didn't get a brownie. Did that stop me? No, it's free country. I can do whatever I want. Free country. I mean, all I, I, for days, all I can, all I want to say to everybody, it's free country. It's free country. I was next to a police officer the other day, and I just, you know how when police get behind you, it's like, oh, oh man. But he was next to me, and I had this this back and forth inside. It was like, do I speed up and do I inch ahead of him or no? And and a really brave part of me for like split second was like, it's free country. I can do whatever I want. That speed limit sign's arbitrary. That's, that's subjective. Well, all that said, that is something in us, while it's a fun, it's a fun comeback, right, uh, to use with people, that thing sits inside of us. And like we talked about last week, it has sat within us for a long, long time. Let me reference this one verse from the book of Judges. Back in the Old Testament, it, the book of Judges ends with this verse. Uh, chapter 21, verse 25, in those days, and there's a lot of context to it, but I'm just going to read this part. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, this is generations upon generations upon generations ago, but you could read that verse, and if somebody told you, well, if somebody hid from you where that was in the Bible, wouldn't that feel like today? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It sure feels like it, doesn't it? Especially this last year, year and a half. It seems like it's been magnified, and it really just highlights a truth about us that we would much rather rule over than live under. That under God thing, we'd, we'd much rather be the master of ourselves and our own lives. And on top of it, we'd much rather tell other people what they need to do too. See, we have a hard time living under God. And so with that in mind, I, I want to bring us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul is writing a letter to the church, and he's referencing the freedom that they've got, the liberty that they have in Jesus Christ, and how he had liberated them spiritually. But there's something in this that's it's peculiar, but for us Americans, I think it's very familiar. Let's, let's read along. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. So he's referencing the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He's like, don't forget, there was a time in history when God's people, they were liberated. They were physically freed. They were freed and they were guided out of Egypt. Only God could deliver them and he did it. He was faithful to do it. Now, one thing here that I want to emphasize, especially because of who's writing this, Paul, and it's this. See, a lot of times 
we associate physical freedom and spiritual freedom when we tie those together. And where something doesn't look congruent, then, then suddenly there's all kinds of doubt that comes to mind. But if you were to look at the life of Paul, it's very interesting. He had all kinds of spiritual freedom, but, I mean, you just count the number of times he ended up in, in jail or prison or house arrest. Spiritual freedom didn't always mean physical freedom for Paul. And Paul's pointing at something else here. Their physical freedom he's about to get into didn't necessarily mean that they spiritually were living at this highest, highest version of freedom that God had in mind when he liberated them. And so he goes on. He says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And that's kind of an interesting phrase. But basically, they passed from an old way of life, an old way of living under Pharaoh and his, his iron fist and, and the bondage and, and the slavery. They passed out of that and into a new way of life under the leader that God had set them under, under Moses. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, did they know that at the time? I don't think they did. But Paul, looking back, he's saying that whole time they had to be dependent on someone other than themselves. They could not do what was right in their own eyes. They were not their own authority. They needed something from beyond them, from somebody beyond them. And that rock was Christ. It represented Christ. <clears throat> now, listen to this next part. Verse 5. They're living a new way of life. They've been led through the desert. They had eaten. They, they had been given water to drink. They had been provided for. Verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Do you know it's perfectly... Perfectly, it's just perfectly possible for us to trust in the work that Jesus did on our behalf at the cross. You may spend years and years and years in the journey of faith, and it's possible to go about life in a way other than God intended. I don't think that's news to anybody in here, but this is what Paul's getting at. He's saying they'd been liberated, they'd been provided for, they'd been guided, they'd been led. God had protected them, and he wasn't pleased with them. Because, they, because of what they had engaged. And we'll get into what that was in a minute, but I want to stop there for a moment because this highlights something about us. See, we associate freedom with a free-for-all, don't we? That is, when we hear Jesus say, you're free from you know, the sin and the bondage, and I've, I've, I've freed your heart. When we hear Jesus say, you're free from, we think, great, I'm free too. Dot, 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 fill in the blank. I can go do this now. I can go do this now. Jesus died on my behalf, so I can just, I got freedom to do whatever I want. See, it's a version of, it's free country. I can do whatever I want. It's free country. And we walk around, and we, you know, it's fun to say to each other from time to time, but we get real serious about that. It's free country. I can do whatever I want. I don't know if you saw, it's about a year ago, and I won't, I won't, um, I won't give my opinion on, on the stuff that led to this, but do you guys remember Chaz? Chaz, I mean, great civilizations that rise and peak and fall. You got the Roman Empire and, uh, you, you, I mean, all kinds throughout history. Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And, and this took place in the heart of Seattle about a year ago. But basically, it was a community of people that decided, you know, it's free country. We're going to do whatever we want. 
And we don't need a law. And we don't need police officers. And we don't need authority. And we don't need anybody to tell us what to do. And so they got into their own little community and they somehow declared, and and apparently the city government allowed this. They said, we don't have any laws in in this boundary. And it was, uh, you know, X number of blocks wide and, and long and all that. But they had their own law within these limits. No police. Their own security forces. How long do you think that lasted? I was actually surprised. I mean, I thought, you know, this might go 24 hours and everybody will play nice, but then this is over. It actually went two weeks. Two weeks, the great empire of Chaz lasted in the heart of Seattle. But as soon as something went wrong, you know what happened? And this was caught on camera. Somebody got on a megaphone and they said, can somebody, can somebody call somebody in here to do something about this? In other words, can somebody call the police? And the police that they wanted to defund and get rid of show up and, and truly, God bless the officers that showed up. Because they could have said, nah, we're not going to help you out. You wanted it this way, you can have it that way. And instead, whether they realize it or not, being the very grace of God to the people who had turned on them and tried to kick them out, he showed up, restored order, And not long after was the end of this autonomous zone because we get this picture of autonomy in mind that just isn't realistic. It's a myth. I know we all picture it, but freedom doesn't look like a free-for-all. It just doesn't. Now, Paul goes on because Paul understands that this, this freedom that he'd referenced generations before that could still happen even today, he says what you got to pay attention to is the heart. See, you could actually engage in a way of life that could take your heart, even though you've been free, could actually take you right back in to bondage. So he goes on. Verse 6, he says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. In the next few verses, he highlights what they did. They engaged in idolatry. They they made an image of God that, that they wanted. And they engaged in, in, it says they tempted the Lord. And they engaged in immorality. And they began to grumble about the way things were. Remember God had given them the authority over them, Moses? And they just complained, 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 complained. And really, they weren't complaining about Moses. They were complaining about God. Because they didn't want to live under God. And so Paul, in verse 11, he says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So you know what the attitude of I'm free too is? It's us thinking we're strong enough on our own to handle it. I don't have to live under God. I did that, but I'm, I'm beyond that now. We can go there. We all can go there. And that's an attitude that says I'm free too. I can do whatever I want. It's a free country. When I wrestled in high school, they, um, there were a few different ways you could win a match. You know, you could, you could go through all three or, or all the rounds, and um, you could win by points that you scored. You could win by pin, but there was another way to win. It's called technical fall. And in high school wrestling, technical fall is basically wrestling's rule, uh, a version of the mercy rule. When somebody gets up by 15 points, they end the match, and they say the person who's up by 15 points wins. Now, oftentimes, I, I remember watching guys win like this, and here's what they'd do. They would take somebody down, and if you take somebody down, you, you get a couple points, 
And then if you roll them over on their back, you know, the ref starts counting off more points. And so there was one teammate I had that was so good at winning this way. He would just take somebody down, he'd roll them onto their back, and he would just, he'd let them up. And it gives the illusion, you know, it gives the illusion that, oh, they got free. If you get free, you get a point. And so the, the, the guy who had taken them down had scored maybe five points, and then he'd let them up and give them a point. And then he'd take them back down again and roll them onto their back and get maybe five more points and then let them go. And by that point, it was 10 to 2. He'd do it again. It's 15 to 3. He'd do it again. He'd win the match. And Paul's saying oftentimes this is what happens. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're free outside of Christ and outside of living the way he's asked you to. The attitude of I'm free too sets you up for a fall. And so he continues. <clears throat> Verse 14. He says, therefore, he, and he gives a comment. He says, listen, God is faithful to help you. When you're tempted to think that you can live an old way of life that actually keeps you in chain, God chains, God is faithful to help you. But then in verse 14, he says, therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. Now, to this point, I, sh- I, I just so wish I had paid more attention in Western civilization, that class that eventually um, we all had to or will all have to take. But in Western civilization, we're going into a history lesson again here. So, so try to tune in, all right? I won't make this too painful. But in Western civilization, you're introduced to a few forms of thought that have been predominant throughout um, our history, in, in the history of Western civilization. And one of those um, systems of thought is pre-modern thinking. Now, pre-modern thinking is built on a complex set of, of thinking and beliefs that basically says there's a spiritual reality that transcends the physical universe. And so you have, uh, you have many religious systems that are built on this belief where you could point at it and say, yeah, that's pre-modern thinking. If you were to boil it down, it's this, that God ultimately is authority. And he says who you are. And he is the one who's the authority. Now, in the early 18th century, a new line of thinking came along, and it was modernism. Okay? And modernism basically dispensed with the spiritual side of things and God himself. And it said, no, 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 it's the physical matter that matters. In other words, science is the final uh, arbiter, uh, final say on the truth of all things and who you are. And so pre-modern said, God's the authority, and he says who you are. Modernism said, no, no, science is the authority. And it, your, your physical reality says who you are. Now, you've got to recognize that part of the line of thinking there is it was setting science and God against one another. This is why I'm fascinated whenever we come across a scientific mind that says, no, science has God's fingerprints all over it. It's all over it. Now, the mid-1900s, this new ideology came along, and it was called postmodernism. And you may have heard the, the term, but basically postmodernism was the next step beyond modernism. And it said this, God doesn't say who you are, and he's not the authority. Science doesn't say who you are, and it's not the authority. Now you say who you are, and you're the authority, and truth is subjective. It's whatever you make it. Now, think about this. Pre-modernism, emphasis on God. Modernism, emphasis on physical reality. Postmodernism, emphasis on you. Can you see how it feels just like that verse in Judges? Everybody 
does what's right in their own eyes. And as I think about that, I go, oh, wow. You know, we think of idols, and a lot of times we think individually and we think personally. But when it comes to this line of thinking that is becoming more and more and more predominant, and it it had louder and louder voices, starting with Karl Marx decades and decades ago, there is a new ideology coming along that basically says, let's take God completely out of the picture, and you decide what truth is. It's basically the attitude that says, I'm free too. I can do whatever I want. Paul, in verse 22 of chapter 10, says this. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In other words, you cannot think that you can participate in an old way of living that kept you in chains while still participating. And he's referencing the Lord's Supper in chapter 10 while also participating in this unifying act with him and with the body of Christ and think that you'll stay free. He's saying to the church, you got to decide. You've got to decide. And there's a very low form of freedom. You may be physically free, but it's so easy to walk around and go, I'm free to do whatever I want. Eventually, I'm free to will handcuff you. I'm free to kind of freedom will eventually handcuff you. We have a family member that um, just we dearly love um, who their relationship with freedom has been a very com- complex one over the years. And, and it really is, when, when I think about just the ebb and flow and the ups and downs of their journey, uh, I'm just reminded of this I'm free to kind of thinking. You know, after high school, um, they were a track star in high school, and one day, I don't know if they were just bored, twiddling their thumbs, but they went to their local post office and said to the clerk at the counter, hey, somebody outside needs you. The clerk went outside, they hopped the counter and took all the cash out of the register. You think they did some time? Yeah, it's robbing a post office. You'll, you'll do time for that if you didn't know, okay? And then they got out of jail, and it wasn't long, it was just a matter of months, they end up back in jail because they're caught on camera and, and in person slashing tires in a supermarket parking lot and keying cars. So they did time for that. They get back out. It's a matter of months. They're back in. And they get out. It's, it's been four times so far. And I sit there and I just think your relationship with freedom, it's just you're living at this I'm free to do whatever I want level. Now, let me just address the question that is on everyone's minds right now. I am not referring to Kara, my wife there, okay? I mean, you just, you just got to know I wake up every day and I just think, oh, what illegal activities is she going to want to carry out today, you know? I mean, don't even be fooled. She, she's not listening right now. She's scheming right now, okay? I got permission to say that, all right. But see what I'm free to does? Feels really, really good. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm free to do what I want before long. You're back in chains. And so Paul, he says, listen, there is another level of freedom. That when Jesus liberated you, in the moment when you said, Jesus, I'm going to shift my trust off of me and my ability to do anything, to get right with God, I'm going to trust in what you did at the cross, that there is a higher level of freedom that you and I are given. And he goes into it. Verse 23, I have the right to do anything you say, 
but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Elsewhere, Paul says it like this. Everything's permissible. You're free. You're free to do what you want. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that word others, scholars go back and forth on the original word because some say it means neighbor. And some say the emphasis is actually someone completely unlike me that maybe I don't agree with. Remember the unity thing last week? But everything should be done for the good of others. Now, this is where, going back into history, when you line up what was happening in the progression of Western civilization and in our country's history, this is the brilliance of our founding fathers. And we live in a day and age where our founding fathers, I mean, you don't have to look hard to see how much people are working to discredit our founding fathers right now. Because they just, they they made decisions that that would just be shocking in today's day and age. But I, I mean, think about that. Would you want to be held to the decisions that you made when you were, let's say, a decade or two ago? No, nobody would want to. But the brilliance of our founding fathers wasn't that they were perfect and they lived and, and led perfect lives. The brilliance of our founding fathers is that they looked around as they saw modernism coming on the scene globally, and they said, we have got to stand for really the image of God in all people. And we've got to stand for the individual rights that we have, but they understood this, that with freedom comes responsibility. You cannot divorce freedom with responsibility. And in order to do that, an authority is needed. And so, as they sat down, and as they dialogued, and as they met, and as they fought, they worked out in the fabric of our country, what does freedom look like, a higher level of liberty look like? And it always, always, always comes with the responsibility that comes under God, under the authority of our, excuse me, of our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> now, when you think about that, That's a different level of freedom than I'm free to, isn't it? See, better than I'm free to is I'm freed for. That's a different level of freedom. Higher than I'm free to, it's free country, I can do whatever I want, is I'm freed for. And Paul goes into specifically what that means in the next couple verses. Or, excuse me, he he says this in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Number one, you want to know how you use your freedom? For his glory. It's for his glory. It's under God. With liberty and justice for all does not work without under God. And then he goes into the next thing that it means. Verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Freed for means you do it for his glory and their good. It's his glory and their good. It's real simple. His glory and their good. And I know I threw a few questions at you last week, but I want to throw three freedom questions at you. And it's real simple. When you think about, when you're trying to make a decision about what you're going to do, 
in, in any arena of life, three questions for you. Number one, does it send me backward? This is what Paul was alluding to earlier. Don't go back. You've been liberated from Egypt. Don't go back into chains. Does it send me backward? If the answer to that is yes, then the decision is probably no. I'm not going to do it. Number two, does it help someone else forward for the good of others? Does it send me backward? Does it send someone else forward? Does it help move them forward? Number three, most important of all, does it point people upward? That's the glory of God piece. In any arena of life, when there's a decision to be made, we ought to be willing to ask, does it send me backward or does it help move them forward? Does it point people upward? I'm freed for is far better than I'm free to. It's free country. I can do whatever I want. I'm free to. Now, this is something that to me, it just has to be highlighted when you see it. And so for a moment, can I ask um, whether active military or veterans, if you're able to, would you please stand up? And you can be seated. But the thing I need to say to you is that, number one, thank you. And there are no, my human words, there are no human words that will fully capture the debt this country has to you. But let me tell you this. You for us are an example of what freed for over I'm free to looks like. And I know there are things that I could never possibly know. What it was like to come home and not hear a thank you. What it was like to come home and be screamed at what it was like to come home, but not with everybody that you went with. And yet you're a reminder to us of what I'm freed for looks like, that Paul referenced here. For our police officers in here, would you please stand up? From time to time, I'll have somebody say to me, Nathan, I could not do your job. And I just think, well, you know, like that's because I got wired a certain way. But I have, I, before this last year, I looked at police officers and went, I could not do that job. I just could not do it. And then this last year came along. And I just sit there and I think, I couldn't do that job. I just couldn't do it. Because you've been the subject. And you've been the target of so much in our society and in our culture right now. And so thank you. Thank you for reminding us of what I'm freed for looks like. For our firefighters, our rescue workers, and our medical community, would you please stand up? Come on, don't be shy. You can be seated. I can tell you guys don't want to stand up long. So, um, listen, you again epitomize what I'm free for looks like. Because with all the media coverage this last year and all of the fear and all of it, you ran into it. You ran into it. You got closer than many of us ever got to, to just how much of it is out there. And, and we all have heard this saying, hurting people hurt people, don't they? 
And that could be the physical pain of a patient at a hospital bed just, just yelling at you. Or it could be a tense situation that you've been called into as a rescuer. So thank you for reminding us what I'm Freed For looks like. Finally, city, county, state, national government, if you're in here, would you please stand up? You know, one of the most difficult things about the climate of our country and the temperature of our country this last year, year and a half, is that it looks at authorities who have been established, and we see throughout Scripture it's established by God, and we think that we get to play God with them. And so thank you for stepping into a position in which you've been placed, and yet you hear the voices and you hear the cries. I've always said there'd be two jobs I would never want. One would be government and one would be a referee. And the reason is they're both the same. Half the time, or at any given time, half the people are mad at you for something. And so thank you for reminding us what I'm freed for looks like. And I am sure there are categories of people that I have missed. But ultimately, if you and I have said, I trust in what Jesus Christ did at the cross, guess what? You and I have a responsibility to live a life, not of I'm free too, but I'm freed for, for his glory and for people's good. Because ultimately, everybody who just stood up, but ultimately all of our lives, you know what it should point people to? What our Savior, Jesus Christ, the most free being who ever walked this earth, did for us. And he wasn't just the most free person in a nation. He didn't say, it's free country, I can do whatever I want. You know, this is the guy that holds the world in his hands. He didn't say, it's free world, I can do whatever I want. He holds the universe in his hands. He didn't say, it's free universe, I can do whatever I want. He took all that power, came to this earth. You know what he said? I've, I'm free for. And the reason I'm free for is so that I could free them. And so he went to a cross on our behalf to purchase our freedom. Let us never forget that. And when you look around, when you see somebody that points you to that, thank them. Thank them for that. Because they pointed you for God's glory and for your good. And so as the worship team comes back up, let me close us in prayer and we will wrap up one nation under God next week. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great patience with us that over and over and over, when we think that we can somehow come to unity without you, when we think we can somehow come to freedom and the highest definition of freedom without you, we're deceiving ourselves. We're so deceived, even by our own selves. And so thank you for your great patience. And thank you, Lord, for your hand, your fingerprints all over the progress of this great nation, one in which we celebrate our independence today from anybody outside of you. But Lord, individually, let us walk out of here reminded that we live in dependence on you every single moment. And that is the greatest level of freedom we could have, to be freed for instead of just freed to. We ask that you write that on our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.